Let us turn in God's Word this evening to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, 
but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. As far as we read God's holy and inspired words, may He bless the reading of His Word unto our hearts. The text that we consider this evening is verses 16 through 18. Paul says to the Philippian congregation, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, There's a question that we face in this text. And the question is, why does God compel us to hold the word of life? Or to change it, why must He compel us? to hold the word of life? Do we in other situations in our lives need to be compelled to do that which is good for us? If we're sick, and we know that we're sick to the point of death, And we generally do not need to be restrained and compelled to go to the hospital, but we go. If we're hungry, and there's a grocery store nearby, and we have the means available to purchase the food, then we go to the grocery store And we purchase that food because we know that that food is good for us. We need not be compelled. We are not dragged kicking and screaming. But of our own will, we do it. If in other categories of life, We need not be compelled to do that which is good for us. We just do it. Why then, with this word of life, must we be 
compelled by God. Hold it. Don't let go of it. We all know it's good for us. Yet we have to be told to do it. Paul understood something of human nature here. Paul knew that of ourselves, we do not desire the things of the heavenly kingdom. And although we can exercise a certain measure of earthly wisdom, when it comes to doing things that, is, that are good for our earthly bodies, when it comes to our spiritual walk, we are by nature so foolish that God must lay before us precisely the way in which we are to go and then compel us to do it. It's a saying, You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's true for us spiritually. We know that the word of life is good for us. We know that we ought to to seek it. But until God works in our hearts, that earnest desire to hold it, we never will. Let us then, by the power of the Holy Spirit this evening, seek to understand and have this word applied to our hearts and lives, holding the word of life. First, we'll consider the calling that we have. Second, the motive that Paul gives, focusing on the second half of verse 16, that I may rejoice the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And then third, we'll consider the rejoicing. The desire that the Apostle Paul had for the saints at Philippi was that they would hold forth the word of life. The word of life is a remarkable power. It is the word of Life, the word that comes from the source of life, who is God Himself. The word then that as it enters into the hearts of man gives life. That's the power of this word. It comes from life and it gives life. It is the word of life. And that word of life is a person. It's Jesus Christ who is the word of life. For Jesus Christ came forth from Him who is life and He entered into this world. And as Jesus Christ pours out His Spirit upon those who are His children, as He quickens and regenerates, Jesus Christ gives life unto His children. Apart from this word, there's death. And there's only death. Oh, how the world would try to convince our young people and young adults otherwise. You don't need this word of life 
in order to have happiness and joy on this earth. You can take great satisfaction apart from this word of life, says the world. This is the word of God. It's the hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. It's the sword, which is a two-edged sword. It is a savor of life unto life, and it is a savor of death unto death. It is the Word that not only quickens and gives unto us life, but it's also the Word that preserves our lives. It keeps us alive and it increases spiritual life. And this Word, Paul says, hold forth. Hold forth the Word of life. King James translation here of this phrase, hold forth, gives the idea that this is like a a flashlight, a beacon that you hold forth and that you would display to others. And that certainly is not an unbiblical thought. The Bible does speak of God's Word as a light, and we're not to cover that light with a bushel basket. But that's not so... Precisely the meaning of this word here, hold forth. It's one word in the original. And the idea of this word is to fix one's attention upon it. To cling to it. To watch this very, very closely without any interruption. It's a great struggle that parents have as parents try to teach their children, how to sit still at devotions. It's a struggle that parents, or rather school teachers, have in the classroom as teachers try to hold the attention of the children so that they can give instruction to them. It's something that we do not do by nature, but we need the grace of God to be able to do it, to fix our attention to cling unto this word of life. It's something that we are to do with undivided attention, not having our attention fixed on different things, but give our exclusive and sole attention unto this word of life. Holding the word of life can be illustrated this way, with the idea of a father and a son who are out for a walk together, a young son. And as they walk down the road, they come to an intersection. And that father recognizes the potential danger of that intersection. And so that father grabs a hole of the son's hand, says, stop. We're going to look first and see if there's any traffic coming. And then, after the father is confident that it's safe to cross the road, father and son, hand in hand, cross the road together. 
That helps illustrate for us this idea here of grabbing a hold or holding forth the Word of life. It shows unto us that this is for our benefit to hold the Word of life. Like that young child who is ignorant of the dangers of the vehicle coming down the road. So as we traverse through this earthly pilgrimage are unaware of the spiritual dangers and pitfalls. And we need our Father to grab a hold and lead us. Further, this illustrates for us the idea of the text for it shows us who's first. It's not the Son that first of all intuitively reaches for the Father's hand, but it's the Father who reaches down and who grabs the child's hand. And so it is for us spiritually. We would never reach for that word of life. But God the Father reaches down and He takes us. He quickens us. He gives us life. And then as He gives us that spiritual life, we are taught to cling to His fatherly hand. How then do we hold the word of life? What's the manner in which we are to do this? We know it in the first place that we need instruction about this. The child must be taught to take a hold of the father's hand. And so it is for us that we must be instructed how we are to hold and cling to the Father. Taking a hold of the Word of life that comes from our Father in Heaven is not as simple as a child grabbing a hold of someone else's hand. This is something that is a lifelong study for the earnest disciple of God. How to hold forth the Word of life. God instructs us that this is an activity that we are to perform. This section of this letter to the Philippians is a development of the Apostles' prior point. The point that we looked at last week Sunday. And the point that we saw last week is that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. And it's following up in that context that the Apostle Paul now says, holding forth the word of life. The Apostle does not say, rest upon the word of life. He does not say, lean upon that word of life. He could have. Those are biblical concepts, and elsewhere the word of God teaches that. 
But in this text, he says, hold forth that word of life. There's active participation here in this. Hold it. And then how how do we hold this word of life? Well, it begins by trusting the word of life. We'll never grab a hold of that word if we do not trust that word. Think of the child. If that child sees father's hand come out to him, but the child knows that there's a history of whenever father's hand reaches out to him, it's a heavy hand of wrath and anger that's preparing to strike the child. Do you think that child will ever reach out and grab a hold of father's hand? You see, it's precisely because that child trusts Father's hand that then the child grows in his ability to hold his Father's hand. And so by faith we trust the promises that God makes to us in His Word. This is one of the most difficult things that God calls us to do. To rely upon Him and trust that He will provide our every need. The Old Testament saints did this. According to Hebrews 11, they saw the promises afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Then, how do we hold forth the word of life? We love it. We love it. There's closeness and there's intimacy here in this text. It does not say stand far off, be aloof or distant from the word of life, but they're together. Hold that word of life, embrace that word of life. We show this love that we have for God's Word by being in and near the Word of God. Love for God's Word means that I open the Word of God and I study it. And I pray for the unction of the Spirit to give me understanding of that Word. And then how do we hold Word of life, we submit to it. That's what the child does, is the child is holding dad's hand crossing the road. The child is not darting out ahead of the father, thinking that he does not need his father's guidance. But the child submits to the father's will. And sometimes the Father's tempo is not the same tempo that we would have. Sometimes things do not proceed the way that we would want them to proceed. But with a childlike faith, we not only trust, but also submit to the Word of life. What motive does the Apostle give here for 
holding forth the word of life. Somewhat surprising. It almost seems selfish. He says, hold forth the word of life. Here's why. That I, Paul, may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. To understand the meaning here of this, we must begin with looking at the words that he labored and he ran among the saints at Philippi. Two action words that describe his work among that congregation. He ran and he labored. That's what so much of life feels like, running around doing this and that and laboring. Running, it's a figure oftentimes used throughout the Scriptures to describe the Christian life. Think of Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This idea of running a race has the idea of running a long, long race. It's not a sprint, not a hundred yard dash, but this is a marathon. It is something that takes regular discipline. It's something that is not particularly exciting or enthralling of itself. It can become monotonous at times. It's putting one foot in front of the other foot running. And then he labored, he says. And the idea of this word here is that Paul exerted himself among the saints at Philippi And he exerted himself so much in their presence that he worked himself to the point of being exhausted, wearied. Paul, after having labored among the saints there, had, we would say, nothing left in the tank. Nothing left that he could give for he had expended himself for the cause of the saints at Philippi. This word is translated that way as as wearied, even in reference to Jesus. As Jesus was traveling through Samaria, John 4, verse 6, now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with His journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So much did Paul labor and expend himself for this cause of the church that Paul describes his labors even as that of being poured out as an offering. That's the 17th verse. Yea, and if I be offered upon or poured out upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith. Paul labored not as the king, but as the servant who performed the will of the Father who had commissioned him to labor among the Philippian congregation. And what particularly did Paul do as he ran and he labored? He brought the word of life. That's what he did. He gave to the saints at Philippi that precious, powerful, life-giving, 
preserving word of life. He brought not His own wisdom, but He brought heavenly wisdom. He brought the word in season, and He brought the word out of season. He brought the word when there were many who hungered and who thirsted after righteousness. And He brought the word when there were many who had itching ears and who were not interested in that word of life. He brought the word at great personal expense to Himself. He suffered shipwreck, was mocked, persecuted, whipped with forty lashes, abandoned by close friends, even John Mark, who deserted him. He brought the Word, and he understood this full well, imperfectly. He knew that he was not the great shepherd, but that he was the under-shepherd who would answer to Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He brought the Word even though He had a thorn in the flesh, which He prayed earnestly on three different occasions that it would be removed. He ran and He labored to bring that Word of life, Galatians 4, verse 13, through the infirmity of the flesh, He preached the Gospel. As Paul labored among the saints at Philippi, so have I labored, Linden Congregation, among you. I do not compare the power of my ministry to Paul's. I do not compare the suffering that I have endured to the suffering that Paul endured. But as Paul ran and labored to the best of his Ability as a child of God, so have I labored and ran to the best of my ability to bring the Word of God to you. And now Paul's personal appeal is that the saints at Philippi would not forget that, but that they would hold forth the Word of life so that Paul might rejoice in the day of Christ that he had not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We understand here when Paul speaks of running and laboring in vain that he speaks exclusively from an earthly perspective. 
There's no such thing as laboring or running in vain from a heavenly perspective, from God's perspective. Isaiah 55, the Word of God goes forth and it ever returns unto Him void. As the Word always accomplishes the purpose that He has given unto it. The only sense in which we can understand Paul's laboring, possibly being in vain, is from an earthly and a human perspective. Paul had certain desires for the saints at Philippi. And if those desires would not be met, then Paul concluded that his laboring would be in vain. And what was the, labor, the desire that Paul had for the Philippian congregation? His desire was that they would hold forth the Word of life. That they would continue to trust the Word of God. To submit to that Word of God. And to love that Word of God. And so it is that very thing that Paul desired for the saints at Philippi. If they did not continue holding forth that word of life, then it would be like this. It would be like a father who built a house for his son. A father who labored with much time, much energy, much emotion, much personal expense to construct this home. A father that planned very carefully what this home would look like so that it would be suitable for the needs of his son. And then that father, after having labored so hard to build up that house, and he's finished, and he's ready to present it to his son. A windstorm. And knocks it over. No, not a windstorm. The sun sneaks into that house and lights it on fire and burns it up. That's the sense in which Paul's labors would be in vain if the saints at Philippi did not hold that word of life. Paul makes here a personal, intimate, loving appeal to the saints at Philippi. Hold forth that word of life, not just for their own, spiritual benefit. But because they loved Paul and were thankful for the labors that Paul had performed among them. Paul was not presently with the Philippian congregation. He was in prison. He wanted to see them he intended to send Timothy to them. Verse 19, he supposed it necessary to send to them Epaphroditus. Verse 25, but Paul was in bonds for the sake of the gospel. 
and thus could not physically be with the church. I am not in bonds physically for the sake of the Gospel, but I am bound by the will of God to go. And so as God calls me away, I join with Paul in making the personal, intimate, loving appeal. Hold that word of life. Hold it in season, out of season. Hold it. When nobody else is holding it, Hold it, that in the day of Jesus Christ, I can rejoice knowing that my labors and my running have not been in vain. As you do this, beloved, and I am confident you will, there's rejoicing. Striking the number of times that Paul speaks of rejoicing here. In the 16th verse, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice. The 17th verse, he concludes, I joy and rejoice with you all. He's not with them physically, and yet he is rejoicing with them. The 18th verse, he calls them to join with him. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. The cause is holding forth the word of life. As one holds that word of life, they are always given a reason for rejoicing. When we hold on to this word of life, then we will not grumble about the unpleasant circumstances of our lives. When we hold to this word of life, then we do not complain when we suffer the mistreatment that comes from the neighbor. When we hold this word of life, then we are given a heavenly perspective on the circumstances of our life. And we are reminded that God sends these trials and these afflictions into our lives, not out of hatred, But God sends these afflictions into our lives to lovingly chasten us and to guide us. He reaches down with His fatherly hand and He corrects us and guides us on that straight and narrow pathway that leads to life everlasting. Be encouraged, beloved congregation of Jesus Christ. You are able, as God fills you with His Spirit, to rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. You are able to rejoice because you do hold forth the word of life. 
Yes, imperfectly, as we all do. For as long as God is pleased to have us remain on this side of Jordan, and yet you do hold the Word of life. I know this because I've seen it. I've watched as members of this congregation have been tested. Tested mightily by God. And I've seen your reliance and dependence upon the life-giving, life-preserving Word of God. And it's not just because of my personal observations, which are fallible, that I conclude that you have held forth the word of life. But it's more especially because the word of God itself says so. Paul uses here the present tense. Holding the word of life. He does not say you ought to in the future begin this work of holding forth the word of life. But the idea is this. You already have been holding the word of life. Now continue as you have in the past and clinging to that Word. Be encouraged, for the day of Jesus Christ is coming. And in that day, we who belong to the church of Christ will rejoice. The day in which Jesus Christ, who is the Word of life, will return on the clouds of glory, the day in which Jesus Christ will open the graves, the dead will be raised to life again, the day in which He will take us off of this earth and bring us to be with Him in heaven, a day in which, according to the 10th verse, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that Thy Word is reliable And we can trust it even in the most difficult circumstances of life. We thank Thee for the relationship that Thou hast given to us as pastor and congregation. And we pray as we move forward, wilt Thou bless us and keep us, cause the light of Thy countenance to shine down upon us. Graciously forgive Preserve and strengthen. For Jesus' sake, amen.